Hello and welcome to the E-Team Podcast. These are conversations with ministry and marketplace leaders from across the country that provide insight and encouragement. For more information about this podcast and any and all resources provided by the E-Team, please visit us online at eTeam-inc.com. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to another edition episode, if you will, of the E-Team podcast. And um, today I'm excited to have Mr. Joseph uh, Perry. Joseph is a pastor. He's an author. He's a leader and like one of the, uh, the founding members of an organization, a nonprofit organization called the Serve Initiative, uh, whose mission is to be a Christian re- reformation movement that exists for the welfare and human flourishing of cities and nations. Joseph, uh, how are we doing this morning? Doing good. Doing good. good. Thanks for having me. Good. No, I appreciate you you being a part of this. And uh, if you don't mind, just uh, take a little bit of time just to introduce yourself. Give us some background. Uh, who are you? And uh, tell us your story and what's kind of going on in this, in this season. Sure. Uh, well, um, grew up in Virginia Beach. Uh, I spent some time in my life trying to get out of Virginia Beach, thinking that uh, I had to in order for God to do anything with my life. Um <clears throat> Uh, 19 was kind of a critical year for me. It was a long time ago, but, um, yeah, there was a time in my life where everything kind of came to a screeching halt. And I remember having a conversation with my mother who, you know, just wanted to see me move forward in life. And we had this conversation and two weeks later without having any plans or ambition or anything, I found myself in upstate New York attending a Bible school I'd never heard of. And I ended up spending the next three years of my life there. And uh, by the end of my first year, I knew I was called to the ministry, and um, and I remember having a conversation. I think it was the by the end of that year uh, with a spiritual father there, uh, where I told him, you know, I said I I said I I know that I'm called to be like a pastor, but not like a normal pastor. And he just looked at me and he said, "Good." <laughs> and uh, I don't think either. Either of us knew exactly uh, what that meant. I was still trying to figure it out. And um, uh, I think some days I'm still trying to figure it out because, you know, that's just what following the Holy Spirit is like is, you know, you're you're always stepping into more and more of your calling. Um, and I've learned that there's uh, usually about a 15 to 20 year gap between, you know, your calling and your commissioning. Um, which has been kind of a big journey for me and then something I've, you know, I've been teaching a lot on over the last several years. Um, and, uh, and just that, you know, uh, we often mistake getting called for getting commissioned. So as soon as we hear or sense the call of God in our life, we try to run out and do it. And that's, you know, Moses did that. You know, you sensed he was delivered, delivered an Egyptian. Next thing you know, he's uh, running for his life, living in the wilderness for 40 years. And, um, and then God shows up and commissions him to go be a deliverer, uh, at a whole nother level. Um, so, uh, so that was a journey for me. It's been a journey. I'm still on that journey. Um, but, uh, you know, finished up, uh, Bible school, you know, 2000 came back, uh, home to Virginia beach to my home church, uh, got ordained as a pastor and, uh, <laughs> you know, the church I was in and, and then it was just a journey after that of, um, you know, we were there for a while and God moved us on. I reluctantly, I left, um, cause I love the people and, uh, that's how you know, God's moving you on because you don't want to leave. It's, it's different when you get offended and leave and then say it's God, um, with the excuses we make, but I ended up in another church where I met my wife, Carla Perry. Um, 
and uh great woman you know one of the best decisions i've ever made in my life and and um i was at that church for a while and then um god uh called us to plant a church in uh, 2007 um or that's when we planted in the fall and then uh, uh, that ended up being for 11 years until he had us close the church um and we didn't realize it at first but he was transitioning us out of that and uh um, you know, it was, um, you know, we had opportunities to, we actually had an opportunity to plant with a, uh, you know, international denomination where, uh, we were meeting with one of the, uh, church planting, you know, kind of the guru for the organization. And, you know, I remember he told us that, uh, if you get 25 people meeting in a home, send me an email, I'll send you a check for $75,000 to help you get started. And, uh, you know, we thought, wow, this is the favor of God and all this stuff. And, um, but over the next couple of months, the Lord kept talking to me and said, you know, that's going to be built on, on business principles. It's going to be tied to denominational, um, this, to this certain structure. And you're, you're going to have to follow these things more than you follow me. And, um, and so, you know, he, he just kind of talked to us about, you know, you follow me, you know, and I'll, I'll build it. And so we did that. Um, and we pastored that church. We started with a few other couples um, as part of our leadership team. One of the guys on the team uh, who was uh, my dearest friend, a uh, close friend, um, uh, he ended up having kind of an emotional breakdown. The other couple had moved away um, and, uh, and then uh, a few years into the, into the church. And then, and then my a friend who was our other pastor, he had kind of an emotional breakdown and everything fell apart for him. Um, and then that made, um, my wife and I, we just couldn't function for about a year and a half. Um, we kind of, it, it broke us and, uh, and, and it really, it hurt the church as well. I mean, the people in the church, and we tried to continue doing it, and and God sent some great people uh, into our lives who spoke life to us and called us up and out of this kind of you know pit that we were in. And I, I actually remember the moment that it happened, and um and and then just through a series of things that we didn't realize was happening at the time. Um, we found ourselves because we had, we had gotten very isolated, even though we were the pastors, we were very isolated. And, um, so just, just because you're pastoring doesn't mean that you're very well connected and have a lot of like close, healthy relationships. And so we, uh, we realized we were isolated, but through this kind of journey that started around 2016, we found ourselves, you know, attending Bible studies and meeting other pastors and businessmen, just different people, these like kind of little communities. And, um, and that, that helped breathe new life into us. And the Lord, the Holy Spirit, just, he kind of snapped us out of where we were and, uh, and vision and clarity and passion started to return to me, which I had lost for, you know, 18 months. And it was finally returning and and we were like, okay, guys, we're doing it. I'm leading the charge. I'm ready to go. You know, I feel, felt like I was getting up on a horse, you know, um, <clears throat> uh, William Wallace and, <laughs> you know, about to lead the, lead the army again. And, um, and then a few people started to leave um, as we were getting ready to kind of, you know, take the land, so to speak. 
And, um, and I didn't realize what was happening. And all of a sudden, all the things that had been very easy for me for almost 11 years um, became very difficult. Um, and what I didn't know was happening at the time was the grace to pastor was actually lifting off of me. And I thought I was, I was the one carrying it, but it turns out it was the Lord that was carrying it the whole time. And so when he lifted the grace off, what I didn't realize was that was actually because he was transitioning me out of that and into something else. And uh, so, you know, sometimes I, I, what I learned from that is sometimes we feel like a failure because um, we can't make something work or because something's gotten harder. And it's really because the Lord is actually moving you out of something and into something new. And, uh, and so we always want the new thing to start before the old thing stops. And that's, that's just not how it works, at least not, not in, in this case. Um, and so, um, as soon as I agreed with the Lord to let it go, um, this massive burden lifted off of me. I, I started experiencing so much joy and peace and rest. And, um, and then I started to be able to see at another level, um, and think at another level. And I didn't realize that, you know, when you're in a church, when you're, when you are pastoring, or I think this is true for business leaders or anybody leading anything, when you're in the middle of doing it, it can be really hard to think about it from a macro level, you know, from a 30,000 foot level, because you're involved in the day to day, you know, stuff you're busy managing when you should be leading, you know, and it's really hard to do both. And, um, so since then I've been able to get a 30,000 foot view. And so my understanding on, on everything on, on the church, the body of Christ, equipping people, et cetera, has just really broadened and it's been really powerful. Yeah, that's good, man. That's good. Well, you, uh, as I mentioned earlier, <clears throat> you're one of the founding members of a nonprofit organization called the serve initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't mind, just share with us the inspiration story behind that great organization. And what are you guys doing to equip and empower um, so many to carry out your mission um, to basically reform a movement that exists where the welfare and the human flourishing of cities and nations? I mean, that's a that's a big mission. So tell me how what that organization is about and how you guys are doing that. Sure. Um, <clears throat> I, let me let me first start by telling you why. Sure. Um, so. Um, because I don't think I don't think we had discussed this yet, but you know when we think about the effects of sin um, on something, we tend to think only the effect. We we only think about the effects of sin on the individual, on the soul. It's like this person is unsaved. We need to deal with sin, and then they will be saved, and then mission's over. That person could die and go to heaven, and and everything's fine. And you know, <clears throat> so. When, you know, when Jesus describes the kingdom, one of the things that he says is, he says, you know, it just takes a little bit of yeast to work through the whole lump of dough, but sin works the same way. And we, we think that we understand that because we say, well, yeah, sin has affected me. It's affected all of me, my whole soul, my mind, my body, whatever, um, and so we, we, and we know that the word sozo, um, you know, for salvation means, uh, saved, delivered, healed. It's, it's a total package, 
but we only think about it in terms of people or individuals. And what we don't realize is that when Jesus talks about the whole lump of dough, the mistake is when we think that we're the whole lump of dough, that you're the whole lump of dough, but the whole lump of dough is society. It's the world. It's the institutions. And so um, sin has, because of the work of our hands, the byproduct of worldly thinking, not non-renewed thinking, sin has worked its way into every facet, into the very fabric of all of society, every institution. So sin has affected how we do government, how we make movies. I mean, look at Hollywood. Um, people just recently, you know, canceling all their Netflix subscriptions because of things that are popping up in Netflix. Um, and so um, it's affected how we do family. And, and now today, you know, how we even think of what a family is or what is a man or what is a woman. And, and so it's affected everything, entertainment, sports, law, medicine. Um, it's affecting everything. It's how we do business. It, it gets, it, you know, makes us greedy. It makes, you know, us want to do things underhanded or, um, or skirt systems. Um, and so the only way to work sin out of uh, all of uh, out of an institution or out of culture is to work the kingdom of God into it, and it's not the pastor's job to do that. Um, the pastor's job, the job of the fivefold, which Ephesians four eleven says, are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, is actually to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, um, <clears throat> and the people who are called as equippers in the church are, I would say it's around maybe 3%. It's a very small number. Um, and unfortunately we create cultures and churches that, that make people feel like if they really want to give their all to God and be serious about the Lord, that they have to go become a minister, a pastor, a missionary, a worship leader, an usher or something. They've got to do something within the walls of the church, but most of the work of the ministry is actually outside the walls of the church. So with the Serve Initiative, we wanted to help people, we want to help people shift from the gospel of salvation, which is individualistic, to the gospel of the kingdom, which is holistic to all society, not just to an individual. Um, So it will touch everything in that person's life, but how they do everything and, and all of society through that person. So we started the Serve Initiative because we used to talk about this thing called the seven mountains. Now the seven mountains is not some weird, you know, Christian theology that the church came up with. It's something that secular sociologists will tell you about that. If you study culture, you will find that there are, uh, you could say uh, approximately seven spheres of culture, seven institutions in culture that make up uh, society in every nation. And some of those spheres are higher than others. Uh, in that culture, but um, those are essentially, if I can remember them all, <clears throat> they are um, religion, uh, which in um, America, the predominant religion so far, you know, up until now is Christianity. And uh, so there's religion, there's the institution of family, there's government, military, and law, there is me- the media, there's arts and entertainment, which involves sports. There's business and finance, uh, which would include, you know, everything from R&D to, you know, whatever, startups and such. Um, 
and uh, I might have missed one, but uh, but there's these seven spheres of culture, and they make up they make up culture. Um, uh, medicine's not uh, one of them by itself, but it kind of fits in there somewhere. But you know, really, it's just a a template to understand to kind of break up culture into these different sectors to be able to, you know, it when we don't have like a template or something we a framework to lay over culture, it's really hard to get our head around it. You know, and so this, just having a template like this, that's really all the Seven Mountains is. Um, <clears throat> it's just a framework you can overlay over top of it, and then you can start to kind of go, okay, now we've got some manageable parts to look at. Uh, so it's not, some people refer to it as the Seven Mountain Mandate, which you could say it is, It's, but I would just call that the Great Commission. Um, uh, because the Great Commission is not about making converts, but making disciples. And it's not about discipling merely individuals, but discipling nations holistically. So, um, but I'll get more into that in a little bit. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> so, um, so, so we started talking, uh, me and my friend Jason, uh, we had a lot of conversations over coffee because people talk about the seven mountain mandate or prophecy or whatever they would call it, but it's really a template or framework. And, um, <clears throat> which you can see in the Bible, uh, you can see it in the old Testament. Um, we, we miss it because we like to read the new Testament and you know, the easy stuff. Um, but if you study the law, what you'll find out <clears throat> is that, or, or I should say, study Genesis, Exodus, you know, the Pentateuch. Um, <clears throat> you get into those first five books. What you find out is there's a difference between a people and a nation. And in um, <clears throat> there's one individual that you could trace this back to, and I'm not even going to mention his name, but there's, there's an individual from a seminary who <clears throat> shifted everybody, shifted the entire church into stop thinking about nations and only think in terms of doing missions to people groups. And, and so now everybody says, well, ethnos means people group. Well, it doesn't not mean people group, but what we need to understand is that the Bible, if you, if you, I don't want to get too technical, but when we, when we try and understand what a text, a verse is talking about, it is important to look at the context, but the context is called the Bible. So you have to read the whole thing. And so when we look at the word ethnos and you see something like people group, but we translate it nation, it is nation because a nation has laws, it has borders or boundaries, it has government, it has physical land and territory. And so we strip that away because we want to reach every people group. But but when you look at the law, God calls, you know, he's, he calls Abraham and he says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. People would say, well, no, that's a people group. No, it's a nation. And, but it takes a long time, hundreds of years from Abraham to Moses, the children of Israel. And he grows this up and he, uh, and then and he sends 70 people into Egypt for 400 years, lets them grow up. But when they come out, he turns a people into a nation. 
by giving them a law, by teaching them about sanitation, you know, uh, washing your hands, how to, and you know, how to prevent uh, contagious disease. Would you think that maybe is a, an important thing today in 2020? Um, and so he's talking to them about these things. He's talking to them about how to do law and justice and not take bribes. Um, and uh, not pervert justice for people, um, how to do court, you know, how to handle a court system, so to speak, and, and render judgments, um, how to do marriage, how to do military. So it's all these things under an old covenant. There are adjustments that we make to the new, to the new covenant. But ultimately what we need to realize is that the Bible builds nations. And, and so if we are going to see a reformation take place, we have to have something that's more than a revival. There's a big difference between a revival and a reformation. And the church, they're starting to use the word reformation, but they don't actually know what they're talking about. Um, we, we're really just using revival and reformation interchangeably because we think that if somebody just gets saved, then everything will change. But if that was the case, we wouldn't need to do discipleship. So when we disciple a a nation, we're teaching a nation how to function holistically, become healthy and sustainable. And when we get away from God's way, uh, God's laws, if you will, not, and we're not talking about, I'm not advocating fallen Old Testament laws and stuff, but when we get away to walking in God's ways, all the revival in the world won't matter because God is waiting to pour out revival, but we have no container to receive it in. So it's just going to spill all over the ground. That's why every revival we've ever had does not necessarily result in discipleship, and then it fades. Sometimes within just two or three years, it fades. Um, so we this is a really long explanation, so you can edit out whatever you no, need to do. So Jason and I started talking about what would it look like if we actually you know, did this if we, and because everyone talks about seven mountain stuff and, um, but there's very little doing of it. And so we, we had a lot of coffee, went to a lot of, uh, Starbucks or Panera's or whatever. And, uh, and I'm convinced that you can fuel reformation through coffee. I really think so. I think that is the, you know, the product of choice, <laughs> um, uh, for, for reformation. And so we had a lot of conversations and what we started talking about was what would it be like to start an organization uh, that equipped the church to move from a gospel of salvation to a gospel of the kingdom that's holistic, from discipling individuals to discipling entire nations holistically, cities and nations. <clears throat> and we saw it taking place in other places because the church has lost the theology that tells us that the Bible builds nations. Um, but the world has actually picked it up. So anytime that the church does not disciple the world, the world ends up discipling the church. And we see this taking place constantly. That's why Christians think so secularly, um, because uh, we're, we're learning how to do business from the world. We're learning how to, to make movies from the world. We're learning our, we're getting our value system about what a family is, what a man is, uh, what a woman is, um, about gender. We're, we're, we're adopting the world's terms, their worldviews, their thinking, and then their practices. And we're becoming more worldly by the day because they have gotten so effective at what they're doing. Now, let me say this. 
it's not a conspiracy. Um, a lot of the church I've noticed talks like um, there's this vast conspiracy in the world that the world is trying to, that the world system, worldly people are trying to um, do everything from destroy America to destroy Christianity or, or all these things. But what they're really trying to do is they're doing exactly what they did in the book of Judges. Uh, the book of Judges says numerous times and it ends with this passage saying that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Now that sounds like just selfish living, but it didn't. It doesn't say they did what was wrong in their own eyes, because a lot of times we look at the world and say, "Look at all that evil sin that they're doing and relishing." And they don't even know. I mean, when Jesus hung on the cross, um, and he said, "Father, forgive them," because they don't know what they're doing. That was the biggest understatement in the history of the world. We don't realize that we're hurting ourselves. In fact, Proverbs. It talks about how the path of the righteous is growing brighter and brighter, but the wicked don't even know what they're stumbling over. So people don't know why their marriages are falling apart. They don't know why their kids are getting on drugs or cutting themselves. They don't know why the government's failing. They, I mean, we the world is just falling apart. It's in decay because they don't have the truth. And so we started the SURF initiative to equip the church to help provide heavenly solutions to worldly problems. Mm-hmm. So how are you guys, what are you guys doing? Um, do you have like, I, I noticed think tanks and mm-hmm. you guys do, some, looks like some workshop type of um, um, seminar type yeah. things. So SURF is really early stage. We've we've been going less than two years and one of those years <laughs> uh, COVID hit. And so, so that's really slowed us down in some areas, but we've probably had six or seven um events we we like to do a lot of equipping events where uh we bring people together and we've done two types of events one event is kind of an evening with event we bring in a special speaker um our first speaker was dr uh, vishal mangawati if you have any idea who francis schaefer is uh vishal is like the francis schaefer of india he's been he's been called that his book he wrote a book called the book that made your world and i re- i highly recommend you go on amazon and get it. Um, uh, it's about a 400 page book, but it shows you how the Bible built America, created the soul of Western civilization, um, and, and how Christian that really is. Um, and so even secularism today, he says it's a Christian heresy because secularism is actually, it's sort of a Christian value system, uh, that you have left after you take God out of it. And that's why there are so many atheists that are more Christian than some Christians because they adopt, they, they sort of inherited culturally a Christian worldview and value system um, that says, uh, you know, uh, violence is wrong and justice is wrong and all these things. They don't realize it came from Christianity. It came from the Bible. Um, and they think that they can have morality that they can arrive at morality without God and the Bible. So very interesting. So what we do is we, we brought, for instance, we brought him in, we had maybe, you know, 150 people come out and he spoke and he just, he gave a lecture and, uh, but it was really powerful. And, um, and it's how we're exposing people to this because even the church does not understand these things anymore. And we're trying to help them uh, get that back. The other thing we do 
so we had him and then we had uh, an evening with uh, Dr. Svetlana Papazov. Um, she's been pastoring in Richmond. She's an apostolic leader, author of a book called Shirt for Monday. Again, one of the best books you will read on helping the church uh, get reintegrated into marketplace ministry, which is where the church is equipping the saints to go uh, out into the marketplace. That's not just business. It's arts, it's film, it's script writing, it's advertising, it's it's plumbing and, and electrician. Uh, it's all of that. Um, so yeah, church for Monday. And, uh, and, uh, so, you know, we had these come out and one of the things that they've done is they, they, their church was, has not been a very large church, but despite that they've trained 400 entrepreneurs. Um, and so what happens is people come into the church and they are learning entrepreneurialism and business and, uh, and then they're finding out about the church and then they're getting saved and then they're uh, getting, but they've been discipled this whole time you know, but through business. The other thing that we do is we do these equipping training events where we bring in a, a speaker who's having a lot of success in their field, whether it's education, entertainment, um, um, you know, the church, government, whatever, we bring them in and then they talk about what they're doing, the success that they've had, the challenges, um, their biggest needs, etc. And they help us understand what it looks like for the church to go and disciple culture through that. Um, and then we do some Q and A and then the second part is where we do training. We provide practical training, um, uh, on how to engage other leaders and influencers in the city, how to do problem solving and uh, provide solutions for them. Uh, and really to kind of, you know, we want to see the church turn into more consultants in a lot of way because, um, you know, you may not think of yourself as a consultant, but if, if you have the truth uh, and you're just prophetically five feet ahead of what's going on, you walk into a situation just like Joseph in the Bible, just like Daniel, and God's giving you insight, prophetic insight, apostolic insight about structures, models, solutions, insights on what God is saying, what God is doing in this situation. And the solution that he's providing and not getting bogged down by what you see on the surface, but letting the Holy Spirit give you solutions uh, that are higher than that and beyond that, you come in and then look at what happens to Joseph before Pharaoh. Joseph says, you just basically need to find somebody in the room that understands this stuff and put them in charge of it. And Pharaoh says, well, who's better than you? You know, and uh, and next thing you know, uh, he's second in you know in command. Same thing happens with Daniel; he keeps getting ranks. He works for so many different you know kings, um, and the kings today are not necessarily presidents; they're influencers. There's they're kings of industry, uh, in entertainment and business. They're Fortune 500 leaders. They're they're um, you know they could be local mayors. They're you know they're people who have clout and influence. And so we want to help them and serve them. And that's why we named it Serve. Because a lot of people who hear about the Seven Mountains thinks that it's a prophetically revealed strategy on how to take over. And we don't want to take over, but we want to come under. And we want to elevate people and elevate society and bless them um, and seek the welfare of our city, just like uh, Israel was instructed to do when they were in Babylon. Yeah, that's, that's very good. That's very good. And so, hey, we're going to we're going to just kind of close out session one. Uh, we're going to have session two. 
Okay. Um, and so I know that you guys have enjoyed Joseph, uh, as you can say, this is, we went deep quick, which was great. Um, love what you guys are doing with the serve initiative and session two, I really want to talk about more of, um, if someone is listening to this, how can they, um, you know, come on board? How can they help support? How can they um, be a part of some of these events and some of these trainings and some of these think tanks that you guys are doing? Because uh, I imagine there's someone in our audience right now that's wanting to get involved. And so in session two, I'd like for us to, to dive into that. But then also in session two, and I just want to encourage you guys to listen to that as well, because I know what's going on behind the scenes right now in, in Joseph and what the Lord is doing um, through the last several years of his life. And he's actually 90% about uh, in the closing stages of a book um, that we're going to cover mm-hmm. on the fivefold ministries. And uh, if you've enjoyed uh, just kind of hearing his heart and his passion for the serve initiative, you're going to enjoy just as much, if not more of his understanding what the Lord has been revealing and equipping him um, for this fivefold ministry um, book and discipleship books and training. And what you're about to step into is going to be amazing. And so, Hey, thanks for taking time to uh, to listen to this session one, and, and um, we strongly encourage you to, to grab session two as well. So, Joseph, hey, thanks. Uh, we're going to continue this, obviously, but um, thanks so much for your time today, and uh, we'll pick it up in session two. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks again for listening in. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. For any and all resources provided by the E-Team, please visit us online at e-team-inc.com.